It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, I'm your pal, I'm the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can follow me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can follow the show at Locked On Vikings. And we got a game to go over. And it's a pretty fun one. The Vikings took it to the Detroit Lions 27-9 in Ford Field. They went on the road in the division and won in a convincing fashion. That's a pretty good thing. And it wasn't good all the way. Took a little while for the team to get going. But a big momentum shift at halftime broke the game wide open. And there was really no turning back. So first, let's just kind of go over the story of the game, because when the Vikings started out, it was really atrocious. You know, the the Lions don't have a very good defense. We spoke with uh, Matt Derry last week and, and talking about it a little bit in the episode after that. You know, all the Lions previewing we did, there was not really a lot to like about this defense. Now, I'm a fan of the of the Lions secondary, and, and they played very well. I like Darius Slay. I like Glover Quinn. Uh, I, I even like Quandre Diggs, but... On the whole, the Lions' defense doesn't have, like, a lot of crazy pieces. You know, it's not like the, the, the Vikings' defense or, like, the Bears' defense where they have all these superstars that you have to account for. They have some good players and some very good players, but it's not a unit that is, like, inspiring fear. So when the Vikings came out, three and out, three and out, three and out, and I, th- I think the stats on those drives were hilarious. I mean, I think they actually started out four three and outs in a row, but for a while in the game, they were averaging literally a yard a drive. One one yard a drive. That They were averaging a fourth and nine punt. Now, we're going to get into the offensive breakdown a little bit more, offensive and defensive breakdowns a little bit more uh, in the next segments of the show. But just on the whole, you cannot come out that flat in games. The Lions were not good enough to punish this, and we'll talk about that more in a second too, but the Vikings for the rest of their season are going to be playing playoff teams. They have the Bears and then the actual playoffs. Against playoff teams, you are not going to be able to come out that flat in the first quarter of a game and expect to still be in it, you know, in the second quarter. And and it was very lucky that they were. And so flipping to the other side of the ball, uh, the, the Lions were blessed with some short fields. A lot of it was due to, you know, special teams, just getting beat on special teams and, and the poor offensive play. But the Lions were given very, very good opportunities. And each and every time, the Vikings' defense held up. Now, there were a couple of not great plays, and and I wish, you know, if this weren't the Christmas week, I would definitely want to go over them more on tape. Um, But, you know, there was a big Zag Zenner run. There were a couple other big plays. And the Lions were able to, you know, drive down into kind of point-blank range, and each and every time, the Vikings held up. And, you know, three times before the Vikings scored a point, the Lions were held to a field goal. And that ended up mattering a lot. If that game was, you know, if, if even one of those is a touchdown and it's 13 to nothing, it just feels so much different than 9 to nothing. And I think this game on the whole was one where you really saw the, the impact of emotion. Now, before... Uh, I, I did this show before I took over Locked On Vikings. I was on a podcast called The Purple Journal on Purple PTSD. And my two co-hosts, they do a show now called Morning Joes. You should definitely go check it out. It's a live morning show about the Vikings, I believe, every Tuesday and Thursday. And I had actually gotten into a couple of discussions on that show with Joe Oberly, uh, one of the other hosts on that show, about emotion in the game. And, and I, I was I kind of 
downplayed in those conversations, the, the role of emotion. I, I think emotion matters. It, it does. But I think often we will kind of excuse bad play by saying, oh, their hearts weren't in it versus, oh, no, they messed up or the play was bad or the scheme was bad. And I do still think that that's true to an extent. I think we may be overrated a little bit, but there's also times where we kind of deny it entirely. There's a great piece. I'll link it in the show notes. It's it's one of those articles you should like read once a year by Matt Waldman. It's called Deny Emotion and You Miss a Huge Part of the Game or something like that. But, you know, the, these are people. They're human beings playing the game and it gets in their heads sometimes. And it really felt like coming out of this one, you know, the Vikings had their first drive where they started, you know, way pinned against their own end zone. They started on the one, got a penalty, started at the half, and just had to, like, do a couple of dumb, you know, goal line-esque plays just to, you know, get enough room to, like, run a single play. And then it was third and nine, and he, and he didn't convert it. And, and it feels like from that moment, you just felt, they felt so stymied. It, it just, it felt so, like, congested. But then that leads us to the kind of turning point of the game, which is actually not the Hail Mary. I'll talk about the Hail Mary in a second. But to me, the, the turning point of the game was a blown coverage on a third and 17. This was yet this was the only drive the the Vikings had been putting t- together. It was right before the two minute warning and they were driving down the field for basically the first time. And then there was a holding penalty and then a stupid second and 20 run. It was third and 17. And Kirk Cousins lines up to pass and finds a wide-open Adam Thielen down the sideline, which is amazing, right? If you're the Detroit Lions, how how do you not cover Adam Thielen? Well, if you watch the replays of that, you can see Lions players kind of jawing at each other. Um, and you can, you can tell somebody did the wrong thing. Somebody carried a route when they shouldn't have carried it. Usually you can watch those plays. And if you're a person who has Game Pass, go into the coach's film of that. And you can usually find, you can figure out what the coverage is, right? Look at how many deep players there are. Look at what the linebackers do. Are they finding a player and following him around? That's man. Or are they kind of staying in an area and and seeing, you know, kind of watching what comes to them? That's zone. And then you can find the one person who's doing something different than everybody else. It's that guy's fault. But that leads to the first touchdown of the game, the touchdown to Diggs. And, and I think, I really think that was the turning point. Because I don't think the Lions had a lot of emotional resilience. And I, I talked to Matt Derry about this in, in our interview, our Crossover Wednesday interview. But it just doesn't seem like the Lions are the team with the spirit to really handle even the slightest setback in a game that doesn't matter. You know, it, it just seemed like it was a, they're a team that it's so easy for them to just say, ah, all right, this one doesn't matter, whatever, and then kind of check out of the game. And I don't think that's what happened on the Hail Mary, right? They just messed up the Hail Mary. But yeah, fast forward to, you know, two-minute drill. The Vikings are having another one of their, like, clown show two-minute penalties and all kinds of backups and all kinds of horrible stuff. And then Kirk Cousins fires one. Kyle Rudolph goes up and gets it. The The Lions misplay the Hail Mary horribly. The, uh, the broadcast actually explained it very well. You're supposed to have somebody in front and somebody in back to kind of make sure that no matter, like, if one person gets boxed, boxed out, the other person is there to fix it. And nobody does that. And suddenly you go into the half after kicking the other team's butt for 28 minutes, you go into the half down 14 to nine and they came out flat like a team that had given up. So from that, I I think the rest of the game was a team that had checked out. You were able to immediately see the run game get going all of a sudden. The blocks were better. The protection was better. And the Vikings were pretty much able to impose their will on both sides of the ball. So that is going to be the kind of overall recap. I really do think this game ended on that Hail Mary at halftime. 
So we're going to go a little deeper into the offense and the defense, talk about some specific players, and then we're going to talk about a kind of big milestone that was reached in this game. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and uh, respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right. So actually, let's go first into some of the bold predictions. If you're new to the show, uh, we do bold predictions every week. I will tweet out from at LockedOnVikings. Go follow the Twitter account if you want to participate. Uh, and I'll tweet out from that account. Hey, send me some bold predictions. I want you to send me the craziest stuff you think. So one of the ones that we called out in the Thursday preview show was that the Vikings would hang 50 on the Lions. We didn't quite get there. And that Matt Stafford would have five turnovers. That would have been uh, quite the meltdown. The Vikings did not have a single turnover, let alone just Matt Stafford, which is kind of interesting that, you know, the Vikings, they were just suffocating. It was just like punt after punt after punt for the Lions or or field goal after field goal. It, and, and that is really reminiscent of the 2017 team. You know, they didn't get a lot of turnovers. They didn't have a lot of picks and fumbles and stuff like that. They just suffocated you. They just stopped you on every third down and made you punt, made it impossible for you to move the ball. And I think, honestly, that's a more sustainable model. You're going to hear me talk about sustainability a lot as as this show drones on. Uh, and, and I think it's just something that, you know, is this a repeatable outcome? Is this something you can do over and over again? If you look back to, like, the, the winning streak that started off that disastrous 2016 season, remember, you know, started 5-0 and and then fell to 8-8, eight and eight, that was very clearly unsustainable. There was a lot of defensive touchdowns, a lot of fluky stuff. Stopping the other team on third down, that's not fluky. That's just beating them. And that's what the Vikings were able to do. We also had one. I'm going to name him Father Stephen Osborne. Had a score prediction of 28 to 10. Only off by one for each team, man. Good job. Uh, but he also put in there that uh, Kirk Cousins would have two rushing touchdowns. We did not quite get there. Uh, that would have been really fun, but alas. I, I think on the whole... Th- the offensive output of the team as a whole was actually not that bad. I think it's something that we can be like reasonably happy. I mean, they got a Hail Mary touchdown, right? We can be pretty happy about that. Um, They got off to a slow start. And again, you know, Detroit had kind of figured out how to take at least one of Diggs or Thielen out of the game. Diggs only had, I think, two catches for like 10 yards. Uh, The two rushing touchdowns from Cousins would have been something to behold. But alas, we didn't get there. So a lot of the bold predictions that came in last week were centered around turnovers. You know, oh, Harrison Smith would have two picks. Xavier Rhodes would have two picks. I called that one out on out on the show. Uh, again, no turnovers. Uh, but I did want to call out the Xavier Rhodes one again, just because, you know, Xavier Rhodes, 
has not been the guy that we, you know, he's been playing hurt all year. He, he limps off the field in every game because I think he's playing through a hamstring or something. Um, it, it's weird that we always kind of like assume that he's faking. I, I see a lot of that on Twitter and, and around, you know, the community. Um, it's just so hard to know that I can't possibly like say, Oh, he's very clearly faking. Like you're not on the field. You don't know what, what he's playing through or if he stepped on something funny or I think, I think when he gets beat, he has to, you know, turn into another gear. And when you have a a bum hamstring, then that can flare up. So I, I think that that flares up a lot in games. Um, but again, no two interceptions for him. We didn't really hit on a bold prediction other than the uh, the 28 to 10 being very close to the score of prediction. So again, good job, Stephen Osborne. So going into the offensive, we're, we'll deep dive as best as we can here. And, you know, usually on a, on a normal week that isn't the holidays, uh, we would go into the kind of the film review and go into some of the more advanced stats and stuff uh, in future episodes. We don't have those episodes, so all we kind of have to go on is what we can see from like the immediate... Uh, reaction to the game. And and you can kind of tell that the run game was not going, right? That those first few drives really died a lot on unsuccessful, you know, one, two yard runs. And the run game didn't really get going until after the Hail Mary when the Lions had pretty much checked out and backed their bags and wanted to go home. So it, it really was not an encouraging performance for the run game. I, I know you're going to kind of see, oh, you know, Dalvin Cook had like 19 touches over 100 yards from scrimmage and stuff. And, and that's nice. I believe there was some good uh, there were some good swing passes and all that, but you know, the, the way the run game looked to me when the game mattered, when the run game was important and, and the game wasn't completely out of hand, it wasn't there for us. And, and I think, you know, there's been a lot of hay made about, all right, Mike Zimmer wants to be a run first team, or, or at least he just wants to, you know, be a balanced team and he wants to get the run established. The Vikings weren't able to do that until the past game made the game over. So I think if you want to go into the Chicago game and go into the possible playoffs and be a you know, run, run, run team, you're going to have to get a lot better at it for that to be a successful strategy. This next point is something that I'm a little bit actually kind of concerned about, and, and that's that Diggs and Thielen have been stymied now for a number of weeks in a row. You, you had games earlier in the season, I, I think the, uh, the Packers home game, the Jets game was one like this where Diggs and Thielen just took over. They just kind of said, all right, we're, we're done with this game. It's ours now. And you just, every play would be a big play to one of the two. And they would just really take the game over. And I think ever since that, the, the home Detroit game, the first Detroit game where Diggs was hurt and the Lions doubled Thielen basically showed, all right, if you can double Thielen, you can take him out of the game. And if you can double Diggs, you can take him out of the game. And we've seen defenses ever since that moment really show that, they can stymie Diggs and Thielen, and they can force this offense to run through other players. And that's pretty bad news. You know, look at who the other players are. Now, Dalvin Cook has really made a huge living off of that in the last uh, couple games especially. But, you know, Laquan Treadwell, he wasn't even active today. He's a healthy scratch. We'll definitely talk about that in a future episode. You know, Aldrick Robinson has been around sometimes, but we saw him run the wrong route in this one, and, and Cousins failed to connect with him deep. And Kyle Rudolph has been up and down. Now, to this game was Kyle Rudolph's, like, coming out party. He was, like, nine nine targets, nine catches. He had over 100 yards, two touchdowns. It was an excellent, excellent game for Kyle Rudolph. And that's really great to see. 
because it shows defenses that, hey, if you shut down Diggs and Thielen, if you commit to only that, we're going to beat you with Dalvin Cook and we're going to beat you with Kyle Rudolph. So if a team sees that tape and thinks, okay, you can't just commit all your resources to stopping Diggs and Thielen, then that's really great moving forward because that means that defenses won't commit all their resources to stopping Diggs and Thielen. It will allow them to work and it'll allow us to utilize our best players a little bit more. It's really nice to kind of put that tape out there and manipulate the way that defenses try to attack you down the stretch. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, just real quickly, the pressure was not really there. I think they only got to Matt Stafford twice and one of them was on a like desperation fourth down. Uh, But that ended up being okay because the coverage was amazing. Even with Xavier Rhodes in and out of the game with an injury, I mean, Holton Hill has proven time and time again that he belongs on an NFL field. Mackenzie Alexander had another unbelievable game. He is just red hot right now. You know, the whole secondary was able to, to work together as the unit we know that they can be. And the linebackers, I mean, Anthony Barr had another unbelievable game. He was all over the backfield. He was timing his blitzes amazingly. And Eric Wilson coming in for relief of Eric Kendricks had a wonderful game himself. So the Vikings, I guess, you know, you call it complimentary football, which is usually a a phrase that refers to, you know, the offense helping the defense and the defense helping the special teams and et cetera. But I I think this was a complimentary defense where the, the defensive line didn't really get there, they started getting pressure down the stretch, you know, once the Lions had checked out, but they were having a tough time getting to Matt Stafford, and the coverage was there causing incomplete passes, and the linebacking was there. You know, on the whole, for as bad as the offense played in the Seattle game, ever since that game, the Vikings defense has been on. They are right, just white hot. And I think if the Vikings do get into the playoffs, that's what's going to give them a chance in pretty much any game, no matter who their opponent ends up being. This defense can keep you in the game. They can play well enough to lower the degree of difficulty for the offense. And I think that's the kind of the the impact that a defense can have, right? You can prevent the other team from scoring enough and say, all right, now you just, instead of having to go out and score 30, you have to go out and score 20. The degree of difficulty is lowered. And I think this defense can provide that for the offense, even against playoff teams. They are playing like the 2017 unit that just like choked people out and not the early 2018 unit that, you know, gave up 38 to the Rams or whatever. I I think that's an encouraging sign going into a playoffs where they're going to need all the help they can get. All right. So if you have been following me on Twitter before the show, uh, then you definitely know what this next part's going to be about. And if you haven't been, here is a little bit of backstory. Uh, 4,000-yard seasons don't mean anything. 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 This is a stance that I have have held fast on, especially uh, because of Kirk Cousins, but I I really held that that passing yards just aren't a very important stat to look at. Ever since I, I started, like, taking football analysis more seriously than, you know, whatever comment I would write on Reddit, it is very clear that passing yards as a stat don't tell us very much. And using 4,000-yard seasons as something to celebrate or something to kind of hang your hat on and say, well, see, you know, this is Kirk Cousins' fourth consecutive 4,000-yard season as of this game. He crossed it, I think, in like the third quarter. Using that as a reason to justify... Kirk Cousins' contract or to say that, hey, you know, now we have a very good quarterback and 
look at the rest, you know, it's better than Stafford or whatever. That is really bad evidence to use. And it's a number of, of factors that lead to that. For one, just total passing yards are very bad, and I'll talk about that in a second. But it's also that 4,000 is a very strange and arbitrary cutoff. I mean, it's obvious why, you know, we talk about 4,000, right? Because it's a nice even number and our brains like that. But there's nothing about the the 4,000th yard that is harder to achieve than, you know, the 3,999th yard. Those, those cutoffs, if you look at it from, like, the way that statistics professors and, and people that, like, do stats for a living talk about it, they, they tend to avoid those numbers because they usually aren't grounded in any sort of, like, motivated reasoning for being the benchmark. They're just there because they're nice and even, and being nice and even doesn't actually have any any evaluative weight. It's just a number that's nice to look at. But that's more of a nitpick. I, I definitely get why people will hang their hats on, like, 4,000 as the cutoff, you know, and 40 touchdowns, 30 touchdowns, whatever it is. I think the thing that we as fans can all be a lot smarter about is not using passing yards as a way to measure how good a quarterback is. Now, that's not to say when a quarterback gains yards, it is good, and we should find ways to count that that are smart. It's just that counting them up and then measuring everybody's totals against each other is really, really flawed, and there's a bunch of reasons for it. So the first and most obvious one is that it's a volume stat, right? Volume meaning it is it is counting, and not actually factoring into efficiency. So you don't actually see if this quarterback is efficient or like good at moving his offense forward. You just see that he got a lot of yards, and that's not necessarily the same thing. The easiest example is take a quarterback who threw 10 passes and a quarterback who threw 20 passes. Chances are the guy who threw more passes has more yards. So if you just then took a person who didn't know anything else and showed them a guy who has twice as many yards as the other guy, he'd say, oh, yeah, you know, the, the guy with more yards is clearly better, right? But if he didn't know that the person with more yards had passed more times, then he wouldn't, like, have that frame of reference, and it might not necessarily be the case that the guy who passed more times is a better quarterback. And I think far too often we give quarterbacks credit for just throwing a lot and not necessarily throwing efficiency or being good at throwing. Now, that doesn't necessarily all apply to Kirk Cousins, right? That's just more of an abstract reason to, like, not use passing yards as a measure. But I fight really, really hard against that, and it's because I think it leads to a lot of, like, false positives all the time. And there's a huge reason for this, and that's that winning leads to running and losing leads to passing. Teams that are ahead run more. That there's a whole bunch of data that has been gathered that shows this, but it's obvious, right? When you're when you're in the lead, you hand the ball to your running back, you try to grind out clock. So if you play very well and get your team out into the lead, then you might not actually be passing very much. I mean, you could have your team out, you could have a 200-yard half, say, that's a pretty good half, right? And have your team out to a huge lead. Maybe there was another touchdown in there somewhere. And your team is now in the lead. They spend the rest of the game handing off the ball and you don't actually get any more. You could have a 250-yard game that was an excellent game and they just didn't need you for the second half. That is going to make you look worse compared to a guy that was behind and chasing all game and got 350 yards and lost. 
I would rather be the 250-yard-and-win guy. And this happens all the time. That's not like some corner case that I'm just trying to, like, throw out there because it proves my point. That is, like, very often the case with teams that are in the lead or, or teams that are just, like, s- severely outclass their opponent. There was a lot of hoopla made about when the when the Vikings signed Kirk Cousins that, oh, they've only had three quarterbacks in their history that have had a 4,000-yard season. And I think that stat, like the Vikings' history, is the perfect proof of passing yards being stupid because those three quarterbacks were Dante Culpepper, Brett Favre, and Warren Moon. So included amongst, so, so amongst all of those quarterbacks, you know, those... Those, all right, these are the only three that could do it. And we have had such bad quarterbacks, you completely overlook Fred Tarkenton, who is clearly the best of the best quarterback in Vikings history, right? Like we all agree on that. I think it's really silly when you are hanging your hat on a measurement that doesn't, that puts Fran Tarkenton. I looked this up. His best passing season is the 15th best Viking season. And a lot of that's era, right? I bet if you adjusted for era, it'd be better. But still, there is a problem with using 4,000-yard passing seasons as any sort of, like, benchmark that means anything to us. And in spite of all of that, quote-unquote, bad quarterback play, if your point is that because they've only had, you know, three quarterbacks that had a 4,000-yard season, the rest of the quarterback play has been bad, well, the Vikings are, like, one of the winningest teams in football in spite of all of that. Isn't that strange? It's almost as if that doesn't tell you whether or not your team is going to win or lose. And and I think looking at Kirk Cousins' season... To call this one of the best five passing seasons in Vikings history, I think would be a huge error, right? There's been a ton of pick sixes, there's been poor pocket presence, there's been all kinds of these like catastrophic issues that have led the team to be hovering around 500 and fighting in week 17 for the final wild card spot. I just think that we can all be a lot smarter than celebrating a 4,000-yard passing season as if that means anything. Now, we can celebrate some of the things that Kirk Cousins has done. He has done some awesome things as well, and we can celebrate those without characterizing them as things that led to a 4,000-yard passing season. So that's my rant on that topic. That is something that I think a lot of like my my brand as an evaluator has centered around, so I figured I should go really in-depth on it. Uh, but on the whole, really great win for the Vikings. Uh... I will be back not tomorrow or the next day, but I will be back on Thursday to preview the Chicago Bears game and go over some bold predictions with you guys. I hope you all enjoy your holiday. Thank you all for listening and skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked on Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked on Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.